0: hello and welcome to the latest felon chat hour before we start on the next episode uh, we just need to put in a disclaimer before we we start to play Uh, just to highlight that this was recorded on the 26th of november 2021 but at the time of recording all information was correct to get all the latest information on the case and the legal outcomes then go over to www.999 Call for nhs.org.uk, and that will give you all the latest news and updates. And if you go on to forward slash inside court 19, and that will give you more of the, the legal updates as they're happening. Okay, well, over to the main show. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to the and Chat Hour. We are in a new format, a revamped format, uh, but then how many times do I have to say we're in a reformatted version before it's uh, common? Um, we are more based uh, primarily with um, interviews now, um, as opposed to the old style. And the guest that we have today is Stephen Kahn, um, who's fairly local. He's from from the, just on the Fenland borders. The borders, <laughs> we'll allow you in. Yeah, um, and he is chair of the chair of nine 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 call for NHS. Yeah. Um, do you want to just give us a quick summary of who that is? Who, who that is sure. Who, yeah. who you are and what, what 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 that is?
1: Yeah. Well, I'm Stephen uh, Stephen Kahn and I live in Sutton, just beyond the Fenland District Council border, um, but I, I work a lot in Fenland. And um, my involvement with 999 call for the NHS started in 2014 when I bumped into a, a lovely group of mums from Darlington in the northeast, and I think it was on Twitter. And I th- it sounded such a crazy idea. I thought, I mean, they wanted to reenact the Jarrow to London miners' march of 1936. Oh, good grief! And to raise awareness about what they felt was happening to the NHS. And I just thought, this is such a bonkers idea. I mean, <laughs> um, I knew things were you know, not great with schools and health, but I didn't really know much about it. And that was 2014. We set off in August, arrived in London three weeks into September, uh, following the, my- the Miners March, mm-hmm. um, which is an education in itself. And through that process, once you start, Digging with the scenarios around the NHS is a different picture to what you thought. And so that was seven years ago. And I've stayed with it because I feel very passionately that the NHS is a a bedrock symbol Mm -hmm. of of our country. And without it, it would be a very different society and country. So, I, yeah, I just feel very strongly that we need to keep it. And it has been under attack for a a long time, Uh, almost since its inception, really.
0: Um, it, yeah, I mean the NHS is 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 a beacon, you know, yeah. and it's something that we should be proud of, and we are proud of, and mm. we we do support the the nurses and doctors who do such an amazing job, and certainly have proved that how much that they've the, the lengths that they go to in the yeah. last sort of eighteen months. And Absolutely,
1: and it, that was a difficult to, going through COVID with the clapping and all that kind of was quite a difficult time. Yeah. for me. Uh, I didn't actually. Well, I, I didn't join the clap. I refused Yeah. Um, because I felt it was kind of sickening to see people being encouraged to clap when they didn't realise that what was going on, especially seeing Boris Johnson and Sunak on the st- steps of number 10 when, because of my work, I've, I know they are yeah. deliberately breaking it down and putting huge pressure on the staff.
0: You know, that, well, that's what we're, we're going to do. Yeah. go more into. So. You might be wondering why we're talking about this uh, hallowed organisation. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there have been a lot of issues that are going on underneath the surface. Mm. Um, and certainly certainly come to my attention in the last few weeks. Um, you know, I thought this was a, a fantastic organisation. And it is, I yeah. mean, on as a, as a whole. But that's the problem. It was. And I think it's the,
1: the vision and the ethos, the idea of a country... Creating its own health service, looking after itself, is a great idea. Yeah, not needing the private sector. Yeah. to to lead the way. Instead, I mean, if you there's a brilliant piece on a, on a, another project, but someone created a, a list of all the different vaccinations. And the, the the world importance of the NHS, mm. you know, all the things I didn't realise how many vaccinations have been invented, through, found yeah. through the NHS. Yeah. And we've lost all that because a lot of the research and a lot of the experimentation and education has been handed over to the private sector to do what they want with it. Um, but there's no need the NHS could do it. So it's an interesting time right now.
0: And that's something that we're going to go more into, mm. so sort of the the, the, the essence of um, the separation of items from NHS into to private mm-hmm. um, companies and uh, the the loss of identity of the NHS yeah. that is potentially coming, coming this way. And I know we're talking about uh, Finland, but the problem is the 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 issues that, are, that we're going to be talking about are going to are like are highly likely to affect the fenland because we have you've got cambridge you've got papworth you've got Hinchinbrook and, and huntingdon you've yeah. got peterborough edith cavell edith cavell um you know you've got main hospitals which are doing a lot of medical research as well as just patient care mm-hmm. as well all on our doorsteps, and if they all change, that's going to have a massive impact on on this region.
1: It has, and the difficult thing is understanding that the change has already happened in many ways. Mm. It's just not, and you you hit the nail on the head when you talked about the identity of the NHS. That's my big bugbear is I love and hate that blue logo (laughs) because it gets in people's way they don't see beyond it yeah uh the, the logo goes up and everyone thinks everything's fine yeah actually they've they've branded the NHS with that logo and it hides a million sins so I'll come round right to that in a minute
0: <laughs> so you are a big supporter of the NHS um but what it was and yeah. you're I've, trying to sort of highlight a lot of or issues that have suddenly come to to light
1: I think when I first started delving from the march, and, that, and then, you know, we all educated, we, we all thought, do a march, raise awareness, we'll get some MPs on board. We'll, and it'll all be, I don't think we were too naive, but we thought there was a simple journey. Mm-hmm. And then what you discover once you start to look at the story of the NHS is the gradual attack on it since the 80s. Um, and actually, in, I've got a couple of articles from the 70s where the american consultancies like mckinsey kpmg were all saying oh it won't last it won't last there's been a gradual sort of propaganda machine going the nhs has been the envy of the world mm-hmm. it's also been the what's the word a target for the industry that doesn't it doesn't like a country having its own national health service because there's no profit in that yeah I was going to
0: say, because you've got um, free thinking country people Mm. around the world who are all saying, well, why can't we have that? Why do we have to pay through the nose just to get a ride in an ambulance Mm -hmm. when I can be taken there and have treatment, but but pay a a normal amount to the government?
1: And it was interesting finding more about, I mean, Bevan is the name everyone thinks of. Mm. And I didn't know much about him really until I started reading his his stuff. And one of his key uh points was if we can create a country-wide health service people will flock to it to learn from it and they will take it elsewhere around the world that was always that's what he wanted he Mm -hmm. wanted to spread and for about two and a half decades look how many and people came because they wanted to be part of this brilliant vision yeah and it just got trashed (laughs) because the the corporate Big, big-time companies, you know, they they had to quell it. They've had to. Yeah. Because there's no money in it for them. I mean, if America suddenly decided it was going to create its own national health service, it would be a civil war. Well, there is. I mean,
0: <laughs> Barack Obama, he, he was starting to propose Obamacare, mm. which was modelled loosely on, on the NHS. Yeah, the, the difficulty
1: but he, with America is they've never managed the idea of because the nhs was the single provider Mm -hmm. i.e we provided everything ourselves and we paid for it with funding from the government so it was a circular thing we just we we were one element in america they've always had that thing of well the medical world is private the government will pay for it so it's two separate it's what they call the purchaser provider split Mm. and took me a while to get my head around that but it is there's the purchaser, the country, and the providers, the, pr- the, the private companies. And that is where we're at now. We've become a purchaser of medical care from, because even Foundation Trust hospitals are now independent. Mm. So they are their own businesses. And when you look at who's the CEOs and the boards, they're all business people. There's very few clinical people sitting on top of a hospital.
0: Is that why so many some of the hospitals have gone bankrupt? Yeah, because, because they, all... they can't. They've been given a budget and they've yeah. just gone beyond it. I mean, it's yeah. There's huge complications around budgeting,
1: and that our first case we went to court with was about introducing a new contract, which was very much based on an American contract, which would change the funding and change the way the whole NHS would work. Mm-hmm. We failed in that legal case, and it has started to come through. Yeah. I can talk about that more in a minute but it's a very clever um, there are lots of clever tricks that are being pulled to undermine the NHS and to undermine people's confidence in it as well that's all part of it yeah, yeah.
0: so okay well so the, the main sort of two elements is um, oh, yeah, and operos Yep. Shall we, shall we talk about them and sort of, first of all, yeah. explain a bit about who so, they are uh, yeah. and okay. then what role they have?
1: Yeah, so OPERO's Health Limited. They are a, uh, basically, now a company can run GP surgeries. I mean, in the good old days, you know, GPs were pretty much little privately run uh, surgeries, but they're not, they were never private business. Mm. They were self-employed people contracted to the NHS. Yeah. Which is different. Slightly from, different. But, yeah. yeah, there is a difference. It was there. That was a compromise. That a lovely friend of mine. Um, sh- I mean, Bevan was furious. That was the one element he could not do was get doctors to sign up as employees of the NHS. So they compromised. they self-employed, but contracted to the NHS. And actually, ironically, that worked rather well for about four decades, because individual GPs could design their own practice. Th- it, they all lived in the communities they knew the community so it, it, you you never found a one-size-fits-all surgery mm. they were always reflective of, of their patient list yeah and that's the way it, that was never planned it's just the way it worked and it turned out to be quite a good thing
0: yeah lots of communities are very different yeah. in their sort of makeup and, and yeah. ethnicity and various other so absolutely. there's got the very specific yeah. needs for different communities absolutely
1: it, it allowed gps to control what Staffing they needed. I mean, some might have needed more maternity than others. So it's it's it was a good move really. Mm. Um, what's happened in the last decade or so is that you can now you take over if if you're a doctor and the next village they're thinking of retiring, you can take over there. You have to do it through what they call an APMS contract, which was brought in by Tony Blair in 2004. Uh, I don't know the ins and outs of why it was brought in, apart from if you think about that time when the business culture was really kicking in. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you do find what I call doctopreneurs who like to build their little empires. Yeah. So we're coming. So when this is leading to where we're going, AT Medics was one of those doctorpreneurial entities. It was a group of six GPs who set up, I think, forty odd. GP practices across London mm-hmm. under the name AT Medics. Um, but all around the country, even in this area, GPs have been forced into these federations and hubs. So they've all been pushed into these, it's like merging without having to merge. Yeah. They're all part of a, and you know, affects budgets and things. And um, AT Medics decided to sell to Operos Health. Now, Operos Health have about 20 had about 20 GP surgeries around the Midlands, some in Basingstoke. And they decided they were going to buy up the contract from AT Medics. All sounds great until you realise OPERO's Health is the UK subsidiary company of the enormous American corporation, Senti, who are one of the largest Medicare uh, providers in the States. And Medicare is where the the government provide health care for the very poor, the very old, and the very young. Mm. Limited, it's always limited, but it's there. And in between, everybody else has to pay as best they can. Um, So that's who Centene are. Um, As well as GP surgeries, they've also now, I was just checking my notes before we started, at a tune of 900 million, they've bought up all of Circle Hospitals, They are also in controlling position of BMI hospitals. So they are a large American corporation with fingers at primary care level, the GPs, and now at secondary care. So once they get a foot in the door representing themselves on commissioning boards, Mm -hmm. they're going to be in a position to commission themselves. So that's the big worry.
0: Yeah, that's an a ethical yeah. conflict of interest. I think you would call it.
1: Well, but it won't be it won't be Santine. It'll be Opera's health. Yeah. So we get around it. <laughs> yeah. But and, and again, we come back to your your point: the identity of the NHS, and it's difficult now because they've become part of the NHS. Mm. So when we're talking to people, it's really difficult to people say, "Oh, the NHS is like." And I always say, complain about the NHS, but don't complain about the NHS. Complain to NHS England, your local CCG board, for allowing your local NHS to get in such a state. Because um, it's not the NHS's fault. Yeah.
0: You, you mentioned the CCG. What's, yeah. what's that? Oh, sorry. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm guilty of what most <laughs> campaigners
1: do. <laughs> yes. Clinical commissioning groups. Okay. And these came in just after the disastrous 2012 Health and Care Act which is one that most campaigners use a lot. It was one of many over the years. But the 2012 Act basically broke up the NHS per purchaser provider. It, in, it cemented the internal market, basically. Um, it, is, it was a disaster and st- still is. It's led us to where we are now. And they decided there were something like over 200 clinical commissioning groups around the country cambridge has only ever had the one it took me a while to understand this i don't really know why but we're unique i think only one other county has we've only ever had the one clinical commissioning group which covers Mm. the whole county other areas like west yorkshire had 11 clinical commissioning groups uh all fighting their corners Mm. for different parts of the county and and so working nationally has been interesting because you I spent a long time helping people fight merging of CCGs, and I kept thinking, well, who are we merging with then? <laughs> but we've already been merged. Yeah, it covers the whole county. Because um, of course it was a big mistake, and they had to try and merge these CCGs into the uh, larger pots because there's less decision making power going on.
0: And well, I suppose there's there's less admin. So there's less running costs. Less if you running have...
1: costs. But also, unfortunately, the, the good thing for campaigners was that you could...
0: You knew who to talk to. You <laughs> knew who to
1: talk to. You knew what was going on very locally in Cambridgeshire, And because they hold them, all well, before COVID, they used to hold their meetings once every month. But one month you'd be in Huntingdon. Then you go down as far as, you know, near the edge, down near Royston. Then you'd be up near Peterborough. So finding out where these meetings were was really hard. They don't produce the papers until a few days before. Uh, you're only allowed to ask questions about things on the papers, mm-hmm. uh, which is wrong. You should be able to ask them questions about anything. But So there's been a lot of problems with the CCGs. But I think our CCG will become what's known as the integrated care system. Now, all the staff will just shift. Other areas who've still got more than one CCG, I imagine they're all fighting for positions in the new restructuring that's going on if the bill gets through we'll come back to that later okay <laughs>
0: all right you're, so we talked about sen centine. 17 yeah um so they are huge they're massive they are massive and they've had an impact in lots of other countries as well they have. we
1: have we, we first came across them ooh, back in 2017 i think
0: and
1: a company called ribera salud um health it was it was sold as the first public private partnership and Mm -hmm. it was going to be a flagship um, in Valencia in Spain and it was a disaster from word go because the Spanish cottoned on this was a you know basically there's only one way to make money out of health and that is to deny care yeah you don't make money any other way you've got you know from public funding um and that's why we're seeing so many cuts here too. And Spain experiencing the minute they moved in, people couldn't see a GP, couldn't see the doctors, couldn't see, they couldn't get appointments. Um, and what the Valencia government, because the regional government, they really did a good job. I think I hope um, we haven't been in touch with them for a while. But what they did basically was wait for the end of the contract, and made the political. They all voted and made the decision. Yeah. Once that contract is out, that's it. Because to take on a corporation like Centine, they, would, they got so much money. They, yeah. would, they would tie up a regional government in knots for years. And just
0: drain, s- you drain the finances yeah. of... Uh- so they, they waited. I think it was a,
1: I think it was a five or six-year contract. And at the end, they just started. again. Which is why, sadly, Ribera Salud then started looking at the rest of Europe, including... Centene have got involvement with the Nottingham area through Ribera. So it's it's a yeah, a big can of worms.
0: Yeah. You talk about um restricting healthcare. I mean that's that's something I've I've just seen um on one of the, the documentaries mm-hmm. and um basically it was saying that those who have healthcare are quite often more worse off than those who don't because of the way that they structure it and that they expect you to pay. Once you've got it, you are then expected to pay. Oh, uh, right. So this one was a, a a young lady. She was 20 years old and she got cervical cancer. Mm-hmm. And they turned around and said, well, you shouldn't have cervical cancer. You're too young, so therefore we're not going to treat you. Oh, okay. So that's how they were restricting. And then it's just families are then sort of... One member of the family gets one condition, another gets another. Yeah. They're then both having to pay massive amounts. So they're then not able to fund it. So they're uh, having to sell their housing. Yeah. And they're basically being forced out of their homes because the, the medical bills are getting and so I, high. Uh,
1: yeah, and I think this is a problem. You've you've reminded me that this is a, a modern problem mm. with the digital age Yeah, and algorithms and AI because what they're key, what people like Centene and the large corporations are really keen on is cheaper digital treatment, like it's very much a one-size-fits-all. As you say, well, you're only 20, you can't possibly have cervical cancer. Yeah. Where There is a model, and if you don't fit it, it's, it? it's a way basically of you know, risk stratification, they call it. It's like, well, if you don't fit that box, tough. <laughs> you're, not, you know, you're not eligible. Yeah. And that's what they will start doing.
0: And that's something to be aware of. You know, yeah. If we're the NHS is basically up to a point, it's you come in and we will try and sort your problem out. Mm-hmm. You know, and we will try and send you to where you need to do be to to yeah. get the problem solved. There it's a case of, well, you don't fit the model. So therefore we won't treat you.
1: And I think that's we're seeing that more and more. Um, with cancer, with all sorts of they're they're doing what they call pathways. Mm-hmm. And they are very much a kind of designed one size fits all, and you know we all know we're all very different. We've, yeah. we've all got underlying things we may or may not know about. Some people come from poor backgrounds. You know, they've got they don't eat as well as others. There's so many variations. Yeah, uh, and the, the modern American healthcare system it doesn't allow for that and doesn't want to. Yeah, you know, um, I think and I think that is a breakdown also of the patient-doctor relationship because I remember a GP campaigner friend a long time ago he said you know people come into my in my my room they close the door and we have a little chat and they'll tell me a is wrong and we'll get that sorted and then I'll, and I will say is there anything else mm-hmm. which is these days' you're not supposed to do but and they're yeah. going, oh no no thank you and then she says I can I can count one two three well there is something (laughs) you know some people need that time to kind of feel trust in the doctor to say actually I've got something a bit embarrassing
0: well that's a a generation thing that goes back where people men certainly men would Mm -hmm. go to um to the doctors and they would start off with an open question about something else Mm mm-hmm and then they would maybe talk about the problem, the, the prostate cancer or yeah, something yeah. that's more serious that's, mm. or the heart condition that they've been hiding and not talking to, exactly. spoken to anyone else. Yeah. And in these that days, was,
1: that's going to be almost impossible. Yeah, If you haven't told the doctor in the first five minutes what's wrong, Yeah, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's a real problem. And also, coming back to the GPs, you know, GP is a, was a brilliant role in, in our local communities because... They knew the conditions, work, or you know, the roads and life in general. Mm. Um, that was a, that's an added advantage. Now, finding the doctor you saw last time is quite tricky. Yeah, very rare that you go. I mean, I don't luckily I'd have to go very often, but you know, when I did as a kid, I grew up with a GP and you always booked to see him. Yeah, it wasn't turn up and see whoever's there. That's a huge difference that's gone. And I think that patient doctor relationship. Is so vital in health it may not seem it
0: mm. but especially if you have a, a long ongoing condition yeah you kind of need to, well you want to have someone who is, is familiar or a little bit of familiar a, with, with just a little aware of or if are. there's
1: a if there's something in the area that might sound like some a lot of people are getting you know that's mm-hmm. a different having a changing workforce all the time it doesn't know the community you know i mean say if if chatteris a business moved in producing a certain smoke or something, mm. and suddenly half the village suddenly started catching strange-sounding coughs. what. So that knowledge of the, what's been
0: going on around
1: would be so important. Yeah, you know.
0: building up a picture. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we touched on um, Operos, but we didn't actually go into any detail about it. Do you want, oh, to, do you want right. us to explain <laughs> who, who they are?
1: Yeah, so for? Operos is the UK subsidiary of Centene, I think they've been. I wouldn't like to say how long they've been going for. At least I would say five or six years. And there's a lot of these companies now. Like 80 Medics was a became a company. Uh, six GPs formed themselves into a company and covered mostly. I want to say central south, but there are some north ones as well. So um, they just decided at a certain point the the money was too good. We'll sell it to operos. Um But they had to apply for. Uh, the the right to hand over their surgeries to operos. So operos only deals with primary care. They are a GP provider. Right. That's their thing. They tend, from looking at all their cases, they tend to go for those that are failing slightly. They don't go for the the, the lovely. And it, it's an odd one. I, I, whether it's because they can prove they're uplifting things or they're in great, you know, because they go for the poor ones. And then upgrade them. I don't mm. know, um, but that's what they do. They take over GP surgeries, mostly then reduce the surgery to a nurse-led system, with occasional locums visiting. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're changing, and they rely heavily on digital phone. They that's how they make their money, basically. Um, they change the whole ethos of you know what the GP. Well, I know it's been difficult through COVID and lots of people have said they can't see their GP, but... Um,
0: yeah, we do seem to be having quite a few GPs that are, seem to be reluctant. Mm. The Not the doctors, not the GPs themselves, but the organisers right. seem to be reluctant in going back to face-to-face, mm. whereas the doctors and the patients are going, well, we kind of well, need to talk it, to each other. I
1: don't know whether Finland... You know, you need to... It's interesting to look at... Is your GP part, which, which primary care network are mm. they part of? Another restructuring that went on quite recently in, towards integrated care. Where they went from hubs and federations. Suddenly now, Cambridge has got 21 primary care networks around the county. And they're supposed to cover primary and community care. So your district nurses, your physios, your, they all come under this primary care network. And some are better than others, and I don't know how the budgeting works. It is complex. It's mm. so your GP may be finding themselves in a primary care network that just isn't working. Yeah, you know, and it's worth asking questions about that. Um, but things have changed for GPs a lot. So I, I know there are good ones, <laughs> and I'm sure there are bad ones. But
0: um, how is the the GP strengths at the moment? Is it the are they still struggling for? Retention and new yes, members. They
1: are. Um the trouble is with the figures, the government say we've increased student figures to a certain point, mm. but it takes, you know, five mm. years to actually uh,
0: to get them through the to training. Get them through the
1: training. And they're now talking about reducing the length of time of training, which is problematic to me because i think the gp is actually an amazing role you're, you're part clinical part social worker part psychologist yeah. you know you are a, a, a mishmash of things um they're being and they're also being dumped on big time because yeah. what they're trying to do what the government and nhs think are trying to do is centralize acute care and this brings back Brooks and peterborough hinchinbrook is an interesting one i'll talk about that in a minute so we've got Addenbrookes in the south, Peterborough in the north. They are becoming the acute centres with the A&Es, mm-hmm. stroke, heart, you know, all the big things. And in between, you're going to end up with just minor injury units, um, urgent care centres, which are health care workers, nurses-led, nothing, not derived. Mm-hmm. However, there's no consultancies. There's no, you know, you have to fight to find somebody. Um so that, and, and in, in order to do that centralization, more and more what were secondary care hospital services have to be pushed into the community, into the primary care networks, and that gets dumped on the district nurses, the GPs. They're all being slowly dumped on, mm-hmm. basically. So the more, you know, as if they haven't got enough on their plate already, they're finding more and more that they're expected to take up extra duties because... And there's, a, there's always a little carrot on the end of a very big stick. A little bit of money, but it doesn't reach anywhere near. So there is a GP shortage. Um, and the answer is, sadly... Well, my answer would be, well, we need desperately... We should have been training them in, in increased numbers the last five years. That's what we should have been doing. Instead, we've let it fall, and I, I think deliberately... And instead push digital, phone, all the things that people are now saying we don't want. Yeah. Because it's cheaper. Yeah. You know, and it's simple. But you, it's not good healthcare.
0: Do you think that this running down of GPs is part of the the slicing and I, the handing over? It feels that way to me.
1: And it, it certainly, that's how I experience it. And with talking with other GP, you know, campaigner friends, um... Because every year or every six months at the moment, there's another new thing. They have to be... They're, they're being encouraged, in quotation marks, to carry on another task. To, you know, the, like, the care homes, for instance, that was a big thing. Mm. You know, um, GP suddenly being made responsible for going into care homes to check, you know, that, for a very small amount of money. Um, so there's things like that all the time that they're, they're being... It's
0: being eroded away. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I, it is, I get, it is part of the shrinking of what's available for the NHS. And I don't, so what, and this what, is purely speculation. If you don't have as many GPs, finding one will mean competition. Yeah, And they'll start, putting, you know, prices will start being involved. And depending on where you live, you'll pay accordingly if, if this happens.
2: Yeah.
0: So you're talking about slicing, you know, we we were discussing before, that Mm. sort of basically this is salami slicing. It's a lovely image of of the NHS.
1: Yeah, I'm grateful to a campaigner friend for reminding me this years ago
0: because uh,
1: there was a report written in the 80s uh, by John Redwood and Oliver Letwin, I've remembered his name.
0: Oh, Letwin. Oh, yes. Oh, gosh, I remember. They wrote a little
1: small paper, How to Privatise the NHS. And they presented it to dear old Margaret Thatcher. And quite rightly, she said, oh, my God, you know, the public will kill us. (laughs) Uh, If we're going to do it, we need to salami slice it so that nobody will know we're doing it. And if you look at the 80s, that's really when it began, because the first thing she did, she salami sliced the catering. Mm. And everyone, you know, it was the era of outsourcing and new ways of doing things. And I don't think anybody thought the worst of it. Then it was the catering. Then it became portering. Then it became something else. So the hospital, On the cleaning as well. Yeah, bit by bit, it was beginning to be broken up. And A lovely old uh, friend called Elaine Matron, she was relating to me her memories of the 80s. And in hindsight, she said, at the time, didn't really think much. You know, The cleaning didn't seem too big a change. But just that small change was the beginning of the breakup of what she called the NHS family. Yeah. And she was the matriarch. And she knew everybody from the very top down to the very bottom. You know, everybody was involved in a ward. She could control the cleaning. They, You know, when a patient arrived, you could talk through diet and what they needed. Whereas you're suddenly reliant on an outside agency, sending in their plastic trays. Mm. And the cleaning, she said, you know, I used to be able to say to cleaners, "This part of the ward, something's happened. We need to deep clean." Blah blah blah. Um, that was suddenly out of her control. Yeah. And over the years of campaigning, I've met consultants who have said the exactly the same thing. Because uh, a lovely old uh, retired uh, chap called Mike, he used to t- he was a dermatologist, and he said so many of my cases that were causing me grief couldn't solve it they were solved by the conversation I used to have at the coffee room or just nipping down the corridor to see. Mm. Some, to And they were solved by joint thinking. Yeah, And he said, that has been broken up because each department now is not allowed to speak to each other because of financial confidentiality yeah. and all that rubbish. So it's broken down, that whole brilliant system of a family work working together they they can't even eat in the same canteens anymore for the worry about
0: i mean that was the whole thing about the medical is that that a lot of it is problem solving yeah and talking to each other Mm -hmm. and going well you know we've got a group of doctors together this is a new case this is something that we're not familiar with but Mm -hmm. between us we can sort this out and that's that surely is like a like engineering it's it's a fundamental part of how we run run that
1: absolutely i mean if you take you know and where, where that's ended up is Digital has completely broken that up. If you mm. ring 111, you don't talk to a clinical person. You no. talk to somebody who's been given a couple of days training to use the manual. Mm. And depending on your answers, and you we'll, the we'll flick through the, the manual and go, oh, right, have you had this?" And they'll ask you questions. Yeah. So, yes, that talking and taking a bit of time to fathom things out, that has sadly been
0: wiped away. Yeah, that's not good. Um we shall talk about or is there something else you want to bring up? I was gonna say, go? have I talked
1: fully about the case? Do I
0: need to do that? Actually, well, okay, then we'll, we'll we'll step into the actual case and the reason why
1: Operos and Centina are important. Yes. Yeah. Um Well, this came about in early spring twenty one. Um I'm trying to remember the exact details. I think Health Service Journal, probably. It's usually a go-to. They announced that um, OPERO's health had taken over 49, I think it was, London GP practices. And in the campaign community of different organisations, I think we'd already highlighted that OPERO's weren't OPERO's, they were actually Centene. So that was obviously a major, um, because 375,000 patients we're now being controlled by a large American corporation, hmm. plus all the other ones around the country.
0: And this is without consent?
1: Well, this is the big thing. We still don't know how much consultation went on regarding the commissioning groups or the public. Yeah. We suspect absolutely zilch. When we asked people, most people said, What consultation? Because <laughs> you are supposed to ask your patients, you know, or at least inform them not necessarily ask them nobody was informed it was just overnight there was a notice on the notice board of the surgery saying you are now part of operos health and we managed to find one uh, brave uh, nhs patient who said this is affecting me i don't trust this uh, and i will go to court with so it's not a campaign group case it is a genuinely uh, an nhs patient she's a local councillor in islington called angina and i think it's been a huge undertaking for her and i really respect that we've all been supporting her yeah. as much as we can and it's you know because it really is a patient case and the judge we were turned down first um what we're, qu- we're we we can not take sentine to court because it's not technically their fault mm-hmm. but what we can do is challenge the commissioning groups who allowed the decision to take place. Yeah. Um, We were turned down in April, but then our legal team, who are brilliant, uh, a public law firm called Lee Day, and the barristers, they helped us choose. They said, we'll go for renewal, which means you can take your paperwork to court in person. When you first apply, you just send a big bulk of papers. And so we thought that was a good idea. We spent a little bit more money. And the judge listened for two hours, which apparently is not unheard of, but very unusual. Oh, wow. Normally you get half an hour. But it was great. And he completely reversed all three decisions and gave us grounds to go ahead. So we're hoping to go to court in late January, early February.
0: One of the jobs I was in, there was a culture of we need to be seen to be constantly changing. Mm -hmm. We need we can't just do the same thing. Right. Because the only way that they can be um, management can be promoted and, and yeah. is because they've come in, they've done, they make changes, they've saved money, or they've done something. Yeah. Then they can get promoted and move on. Is this the same kind of culture within the NHS? I'm chuckling
1: because or... you reminded me of a phrase that started being used when they wanted to introduce integrated care back in 2016, with what they called STPs, Sustainability and Transformation Plans, and the one line that kept being pushed by all managers, all NHS England committee members board members was doing nothing is not an option. Mm. That was the big so i.e. change, yeah. change, change. And I come across it over time actually, not just NHS, but in schools and just general public. Yeah. Oh, talk got- and no one's actually saying what they want to
0: change to. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's just change. we need to change it from yeah. something because it's we change. Can't- change.
1: Yeah. change. I get really cross with it because yeah. I think, actually, no.
0: You've got to give it something, a chance to actually yeah. work or not. And it's, Things are okay. <laughs> we don't it, need to it. <laughs> if it's not it, broken. <laughs>
1: it's not, yeah, it's okay. It can be fixed. It,
0: fixed and tweaked yeah. and, and just adjusted.
1: That is part of the agenda that's been pushed for a long time. But
0: I think that's a business culture. Is it? Yeah, I think It you're seems right. to have been a lot of things. It's a case of, right... That's how you make your money because you've either saved the department millions mm. of pounds or you've changed something so significantly yeah. then you can make a name for yourself or you get a promotion and move on and then somebody else comes in yeah. and then you go through that next cycle. Again. And it's
1: also part of uh, we were discussing earlier, the economic mantra that there's not enough money. There's not enough money. Mm. We have to make efficiency savings. That was Simon Stevens' favourite word. Efficiency savings, i.e. cuts. And it's this belief at middle management upwards level that we've got to keep cutting, cutting, cutting. Mm. You know, they even employed Toyota lean management. Have you heard of that?
0: I I, I can imagine what it is. Oh, good God. You know, applying that
1: from a Toyota factory in Japan Mm. (laughs) to healthcare in Britain. I mean, absurd, but that's what they've done. They did do that for a long time. I haven't heard it so much lately. But lean management, which is an American thing, that was brought in in 2017, 18, because they wanted to shrink, the budgets shrink the whole service. And that's been the name of the game since 2016-17. Yeah.
0: Okay, let's, well, let's have a look at... Um, is it Optum?
1: Is Optum? Is it? Oh, my goodness. Optum. Uh, yeah, that, well, that's like... a
0: name that's come up in, in my research. That... Yeah,
1: well, you've done well to find that. Um, we have had it in Cambridgeshire. Uh, there's a big uh, element of it in Lincolnshire. Uh, Optum, UK, is part of... Optum Global, I suppose. But Optum is basically a subsidiary company of United Healthcare, another, I think they're even bigger than Centene. They're a big oh, right. health insurance uh, based company in the States. Um, and the interesting thing about Optum and United Healthcare is there's a very direct link to the NHS because Simon Stevens, who I mentioned earlier, He was brought back from America. First of all, he was Tony Blair's one of three. Oh, goodness me, this story is so dark. (laughs) One of three health advisors. There were Simon Stevens, Penny Dash and Mark Britnell. Three health advisors. Now, when Tony Blair lost power, uh, Penny Dash went straight to McKinsey and she's still there. She's now running an integrated care system in North London. Mark Britnell went to KPMG, one of the big global accountants. He's still there. Simon Stevens went to America, went straight to United Health and became president of global strategy. Now he stayed there, I think for just under 9 years till 2014 when Jeremy Hunt brought him back, someone who's been working in American private healthcare for a long time brought him back. To run NHS England, mm. I don't think I need to say anymore. Really, no, <laughs> I think
0: probably just leave leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> Let other people work. I've yeah. run out of words. Yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it's interesting, Simon Stevens. We have tried for so. I've given up. He, is, he's we, we, the phrase Mister Teflon. Mm-hmm. He genuinely is Mister Teflon. Nothing has stuck. We, not just us, loads of campaigns have tried to highlight Simon Stevens is the villain behind this with Jeremy Hunt. Hmm. And nothing's stuck. It's amazing. He's a very clever man. Yeah, and he's now in the House of Lords. Which is so. so what's
0: what, what's all right. Okay. go on. I was going to say. So with Optum coming here, then what? What? Um, so they're they're a big part of the. Um, the non-centralised yeah, well, they're, they're, elements of their, What, what, what would they bring to the UK then? As what would they
1: bring to the UK? They're, they're, what they're bringing is the promotion of integrated care. And you, people will know that you hear that on the news all the time. The difficulty has been, how do you argue with what sounds like a good idea? Because mm. we used to have Department of Health and Social Care, then they broke it all up. Now okay. they're saying, oh, it's not joined up. We need to put it back together again. Okay, but what they've done is rip it apart, change the ethos of it. They're going to stick it back together, but it won't be the NHS in control. Mm. It won't be the government and people in control. It'll be the corporate companies in control. So where Optum sits, they have done a clever thing, along with Price Coopers. They were, for a while, one of the lovely trainers and advisors to clinical commissioning groups promoting integrated care. I should just remember to remind myself and you. Integrated care, when it was first brought up by Jeremy Hunt back in 2000, I think, 18, the actual phrase. Firstly, it was known as accountable care organisations. Now, if you know anything about American healthcare, ACOs are the latest version of what they call health maintenance organisations um, or health management organisations, HMOs, which are basically clumping businesses together to provide healthcare for a geography. Okay. You know. And that's what they're trying to do here. They and in America, you know, the chaos that is the the commercialized market of mm. healthcare there, I suppose it sort of makes sense. You need the, the businesses to start working together. Yeah. Cuz people start dying, yeah. <laughs> you know. Your local population is really not being served by Medicare and Medicaid cuz the businesses aren't operating. But we didn't need that here we don't need we shouldn't need that because it used to be a national system somewhat coordinated never perfect i'm not going to pretend it you know there's a massive mm. vision to have a whole country with one healthcare network for everybody what yeah. a brilliant idea so what Optima are doing is training clinical commissioning groups how to speak the speak telling everybody that integrated care is the best thing since sliced bread when actually what it's doing this particular integrated care is breaking up the NHS. So it's disintegrated care, not integrated. Because, um, I mean, coming to the health and care bill that we were talking about earlier, there's a health and care bill going through Parliament right now. It's moved to the Lords, and, and we're hoping the Lords will see sense and, as best they can, put some spanners in the works, because the bill is nothing but a cementing of the breaking up of these uh, the the or the nhs into these 42 integrated care systems we've already that's already happened they just need legalizing not that they're illegal but there aren't no, there's never been getting... a, there's never been a mandate there's never been a, a no one's ever said we're going to break up the nhs into 42 pots they do it in a way that no one really knows what's going on um and even staff don't really realise and a lot of staff don't realise what the integrated care system is really about and it's about giving an area a set population health budget at the beginning of the year and that's it.
0: Okay so just give you a a scenario if I'm going to visit relatives in Mm. Newcastle yeah and I take a drive up And then suddenly, like um, uh, Richard Mayling, you know, you you suddenly fall ill and you've then got to go to hospital.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, that's an interesting question because... Who pays? This is what we're fighting with the bill at the moment. Um, And um, we've been questioning, you know, does that mean each integrated care system is only responsible for its population that's registered? So if you fall ill in another integrated care system in theory you could rock up say you had a car crash on the a1 they take you to newcastle hospital and they go oh david he's he's cambridgeshire that's not our mm. postcode so in theory as they do in the states they're going to have to ring Aden brooks or peterborough wherever you are you know the to integrated care system pay. they're going to look you up and go oh no we're not going to pay that for, it could happen. Mm. So, in because th- it happened uh, just recently, about two months ago, a woman with severe burns turned up to Rochdale and then Oldham, two hospitals, because they had recently become part of a federation, a Northern Care Alliance, they're called, four hospitals. They are now a chain, and their remit was we're only going to serve people within a certain postcode. She failed, although she was actually very local, her postcode didn't fit. So she was turned away with severe burns by staff who were horrified they had to do it. Yeah. That, that was the rules. Yeah. And that's just one. There are other... One happened in Oxfordshire, we know about, another in Sussex, I think. It's beginning to happen. Mm. Because, as I say, all these independent hospitals are beginning to make their own, you know, guidelines and they can do whatever they like. So it's... Um, yeah, it's getting really
0: problematic. So with the... F- the f- the fragmentation of the the whole element and then going into private companies. At what point are we going to have where the government no longer controls the NHS or a medical service provider? Is that likely to happen and is it likely to happen soon?
1: Um, That's an interesting one. Um, Well, I suppose you can say the government will never lose its link because it will provide the public funding. You know, that's why the private companies want in because there's £115, £120 billion a year to be had. Um, But it's close, I think. Once, and actually this is where the bill is really important, our big worry is once the private corporations become part of the integrated care boards, which is, so the integrated care system Mm -hmm. within it will have integrated care boards, who are the decision-makers and the money-holding entities. Now, someone like Centene, as a GP representative, as a hospital representative, because the, all these integrated care boards are going to have representatives of the different entities. Mm-hmm. So in theory, there is a cor- private provider sitting on a decision-making board about the public health in that area. That's when you start to lose control. And although in theory... In theory, NHS England are very... They're quick to say, oh, it's all about local transparency and local accountability. But at the moment, they also still have decision-making control. If they don't like what you're doing, they can put their oar in. The difficulty is, is knowing where NHS England sit. Because mm-hmm. what they like and don't like might be completely different to what we think is a good idea. So, yeah, they are, you've hit the nail on the head with the identity thing. That's what most people need to understand the identity of the NHS is completely changed now. Yeah. Um. um the, I don't even like using free at the point of need. Private healthcare can be free at the point of need, i.e. go in and they won't charge you, but you're paying other ways later on. It, it, there's a lot of our vocabulary as campaigners, has. we have to keep changing and adapting because the situation keeps getting worse. Um, so, yeah, that's a good question. I don't know how long it will take. If this bill goes through that's pretty much it we have handed over the infrastructure to these integrated care boards which will contain private corporations and private companies and once they start to be part of financial planning decision making how many operations we can offer you know then they are pretty much eating up control of of the whole thing yeah so
0: it's a big worry do you think it could be reversed by another government? Uh,
1: a friend a friend once said, a government can do whatever it likes. And we have to remember that, I think. Because mm-hmm. actually, yeah, in theory, if a government decided to reverse... I mean, they can
0: denationalise railways yeah. and various other organisations. So it would just the-
1: be very, very difficult. Mm. And, of course, you've got the, um, the awful... Uh, what's the it was TTIP that brought it up where a company could take a country to court for loss of earnings. Mm-hmm. So once they're inside the NHS and you start to want to renationalize it, and they will take That could be very expensive. Very expensive. Um, so they've got you by the short mm-hmm. and curlers, really. Um, so which is why with this bill coming up, we have to kill it. We've had a kill the bill campaign for a while, uh, or don't blow it campaign. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because they, I don't know that even MPs and the Lords know what they're voting on. No. They don't. You know, the bill, the really worrying thing is the bill, although it's, um, it's a long read, but it clearly what they, and what the NHS guidelines made it very clear, what they want to do is pass the bill, then with these secondary statutory instruments, they're called, which is basically, a, you know, a small committee, they take the bill, and add things mm. and tweak things. And there's no parliamentary debate. There's no public scrutiny. It's all done in a committee meeting room somewhere with a few people. And NHS England guidelines actually says there will be new... and So not only are the integrated care boards new NHS bodies, Matt Hancock's favourite words, there will be other new NHS bodies that will be created by secondary legislation with no parliamentary scrutiny... I could not believe it when I read that in the guidelines that NHS England actually wrote. They're so brazen now, yeah. knowing that they're called provider collaboratives. So you can bring in any
0: other company you, you want and in then set it, it like. up. And you up. can make
1: it, oh, it's a legal statutory organisation because we've just made it so by secondary instruments.
0: Give it a title and that's it.
1: Yeah. So we have to try somehow to get the Lords to really see this. So we've got various campaign meetings coming up to talk about it and figure out. The Lords is a new, interesting, it's a new ball game for us. We've never dealt with the Lords. You're normally just MPs and commons, but um, the Lords, uh, you know, and that's been changed. I mean, the Lords comes in for a lot of criticisms too, including from me. Um, I'd much rather an elected house there, but then they're not. However, they have got powers that we need to explore and figure out and talk we are talking to some who get it yeah but they're not there's you know, there's about 800 attending lords apparently over the days they don't all turn up at once but there's um and there's about over a thousand of them but a lot of them just don't turn up uh, still paid to do that however
2: hmm. uh, <laughs> they're often doing their second jobs yeah
1: um so we're hoping there are there are some pockets of amenable lords uh, who are listening yeah and and which is good and they're quite cross-party which is also good um so yeah we just hope you know and it, if people are listening and think this is horrific what, should, what can we do it is horrific and you can't uh, if you know any lords uh or go to the lords website mm-hmm. uh, for instance I, i've just found one in cambridgeshire so i'm going to be writing to her later on today to try and appeal to her sense of you know she knows cambridgeshire so what happens if... I mean, my theory is that Addenbrooks and Peterborough will become the acute centres and Hinchinbrook will become the elective care,
0: more or less private. You know. Yeah, you said you were going to talk about Hinchinbrook yeah, well, more. Hinchinbrook is an
1: interesting one. It was taken over by Circle back in 2010 and they were going to reduce the budget by half. They were going to show the world how to do it. Uh, and it failed within three years because... Phew, you know, you can't run a hospital by cutting the budget by half. And um, it was it was run by a chap called Ali Parser, mm-hmm. who, if you heard of Babylon Health,
0: I think I'm, I think I'm yeah, aware of the, the, I Heard the, the name that cropped up. He's the CEO of a,
1: He was one of the first uh, called GP at Hand, a phone app that basically you could sign up to the app for a GP serg- service. What people didn't realise that when you signed up for the GP app. You lost your physical GP. Oh, um, oh, indeed. Uh, a lot of people then went, oh, cancel that. But of course, they got into real problems. It also meant the CCG in Fulham, where the business was registered, a GP, a doctor, another doctorpreneur, he agreed that his surgery would be the headquarters of. He suddenly went from something like seventy thousand patients to two hundred and something. You know. So the the costs of the CCG at Fulham suddenly went up
0: the roof. So how does that equate for the um geographical I <laughs> do... I don't know. How would that impact a... it's
1: just bonk that you're dealing with a lot of madness right now yeah. as well. You know? I
0: mean I know Hingebrook was certainly went through the, the media um what, five, six years ago yeah. when they basically went bankrupt. Yeah. And they had to they they had I think they had their debts written off. No, they were they given extra go, they, money. No, they didn't
1: go bankrupt. Basically Circle, after doing a huge a bit like Ribera Salude, they did a, this was going to be a public-private partnership. Circle were going to show the way how to run hospitals a better way. And of course, after two and a half, three years, they realized they couldn't cut the budget. Mm. There was no money in it for them. So they gave it back. They didn't go bankrupt.
0: I thought they'd gone into massive debts.
1: It, well, it was always in debt. that's why they, they right. took it over to they couldn't reduce it right um, And so they handed it back to the NHS. But the NHS absorbed the money, yeah. You know, um, and Circle walked away, didn't pay any money back. They got paid to take it over. I mean, and then Ali Paz has gone on to do the GP at hand, and he's working with um, oh chap, the American philanthropist who's in. He's got his finger in every pie. Uh, the Gates Foundation. Oh, Bill Gates. Yeah, Bill Gates, um, which is another nest of uh, interesting worms. That that notion of uh, philanthropy—we're now going back. They are taking us back to a sort of Victorian era, Mm. where we're all going to be reliant on the Bransons and the—you know—and it's
0: like we don't really don't need that. So we're all going to have big stovepipes and pipes, and
1: (laughs) but we are—I mean, in America, you know, the GoFundMe Mm. pages—they started in the states, and mostly what they do is appeal for medical money.
0: Yeah, I know there's quite a lot of medical, support medical me or various yeah. just to help pay for, for treatment. People yeah.
1: shouldn't, and, the, and we're not talking about the poorest people. We're talking no. about people with houses and, you know, the, Well, this
0: is jobs. what I was saying about the, the ones who have the, the, the medical funding yeah. are the ones who are being hit the most because yeah. the ones without it get the free medical help. Yeah. And it's the ones who are suffering. Okay. Now, it, it is worrying. Mm, very worrying. I mean, I know this might sound a very naive question but why are they selling it off and what's the sort of their end game? Is it deeper than that? Uh, Is it as straightforward Uh, as money issues or is it? I I, I
1: genuinely think the, I think since the 50s, 60s, I mean this, I don't, I find the word difficult to use because it sounds academic, but this neoliberal kind of this idea that, you want a shrunken state. You don't want the government to be responsible for everything. You want mm. people to look after themselves. That ethos has come from America, and it has grown globally. And that what they've done is a very clever mixture of messages, one of which is, we're running out of money. Yeah. We're running out of money. And that is a constant, if you think about it, that is always in people's heads now. And I spoke to a, a young family recently who... They left college back at what two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine, and they—they're now young parents. And they said, "When is it ever going to change?" Mm. All we've known since we were teenagers is not enough money, not enough money, can't have that, not enough money, and it's closing down society in a way. It's quite on all levels, schools, health. We're closing down the the idea of creating a society where everyone has an opportunity. Yeah. They'll say they're not, but that is what's happening. So I think that has, has eaten into politics big yeah. time. And the lobby, we know the corporate lobbyists have been inside Parliament for a long, long time. And it's it's really sad that some politicians have helped that process. Alan Milburn, oh my word, if ever there's a man to detest, it's Alan Milburn. Alan Milburn MP from the northeast, a Labour MP, has gone from you know being a, a health uh, secretary to an immense source of knowledge for the private sector. He's now in Price Waterhouse Coopers. He was part of Ribera Salude for a while. Uh, he's oh he's, yeah. There are people like him who are awful. L- like for instance the the former boss of Opero's health, mm-hmm. Sam Jones. At one point she was director of sixteen, uh, all centine related. UK subsidiary companies. If you go to a company's house, type in her name, up it came. She resigned her position in 2020 mm-hmm. because she had to. Because lo and behold, she is now the prime minister's one of the health advisory team. Yeah. Not working in Department of Health. She's in number 10. She's actually writing policy. So this is someone who has been through the Centene system. Yeah. She's writing policy for our system. Couple that with even more scary news. Her mate, Tim, and I want to say Tim Devine, I don't know, Tim anyway, he, another director of OPERO's health, and actually for a while a director of Centene UK, he's in the Department of Health advising on integrated care.
0: So It's basically not looking good for us. Not looking good. Because everyone seems to be... we,
1: We do have to fight this bill. So, if you are listening and you're worried, write to your MP. Who's your MP here? Uh, Barclay. Oh, you're Stephen, Stephen Barclay. Write Stephen Barclay. Um, and um, I want to say Vara, the Northeast East. Fetland. Yeah. Um, yes. Um, well, for- well, wherever you are, if you're listening, write to your MP and tell them you really do not want this bill to go through. It's important for them to know just how strong the public feel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know it all sounds futile saying write to your MP. This one is really
0: vital. Because it affects everyone. It really does, yeah. I mean, you've got, by, first of all, you've got the, by them transferring um, you over to the American system, mm. you've got all your medical records, which are then being handed over to the American system. Uh, yep. Yeah. And as part of their database, there's, you're going down the insurance companies mm-hmm. and getting a hold because obviously they'll sell the information onto the the, yep. the insurance companies, who will then have an impact on the insurance for your yep. medical. So mm-hmm. that has goes up and down depending on your. Yep. Um, and they'll also find conditions. ways
1: there'll be more ways of, of, of denying, of you, denying care. you care. Yeah, yeah
0: basically. If you got a, a family or a historical medical condition, then you won't get covered.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, interesting, you bring up the digital records because I've just remembered. When or We did push for a while, and we still are now, I think, the opt-out. You can, Yeah, we could sign to... You so can that sign you to have your records kept between you and the doctor. Yeah. Uh, because when he was in power, Matt Hancock, in his wisdom... I mean, COVID was a really interesting time because they put privatisation... And we don't intend to use that word anymore. It's more they're replacing the, the infrastructure mm. inhabited by private companies... So it is a way of privatising, but it's done in a way that, like, for instance, scrapping public health. Public Health England was sidelined from word go. The reason we were in such a mess in early COVID was not because, oh dear, we didn't know what to do. They had so many experts telling them what to do, but what they wanted to do was to quickly keep Public Health England out of it and create a whole new infrastructure of public health. It's now called the bio. You've probably heard it on the news, I forget what it's called, now. but it was basically a private structure. Mm. You know, why would you do that? They just shifted. Um, so much of that was was the way that this government decision making was made on how can we siphon off the money to that lot. You know, it wasn't in, ge- I don't think, in genuine concern for the country, it was oh, here's an opportunity, and that was the delay. Yeah, they were busy deciding how they were going to financially reward the crony. Contracts that went out.
0: Yeah, so, how much money can we make from data? Yeah. It's back to that. Oh, how yes, much opt- is your yeah. your information is has a value? Mm-hmm. You know, how much can you get for it?
1: And Matt Hancock, a part of, they wanted to set up, or they they just still do, they want to set up a new central database of everyone's records, which is the American way of doing things. In America, they'll create something, everyone's in it, unless you find out and you opt out. Mm-hmm. Here, our ethos always has been you have to opt in. You can't just be put in. The doctor would have to say, David, do you mind if I put Mm -hmm. your records? And you go, yeah, that's fine. That's the way it should have done. Instead, Matt Hancock announced very quietly, very quietly, we're going to make a new database. Um, And luckily some campaigners and various, and doctors too, it wasn't just us, furious and wanting to know what this new database was about. Because if you want to use medical records for research... You've been able to do that since the year dot. But you have to approach the NHS, show what, what you want to do, agree that after 12 months you will destroy the records. Yeah. yeah. Um, but also
0: you And it's non-attributable to, get... to the person that's... Well, it should be non-attributable to the, to the name of the person. Yeah,
1: exactly. Um, and you had to agree to get the GP and patient permission. Mm-hmm. That's been standard practice. It's a bit cumbersome. And there's lots of, you know, people are saying, well it's, well, it's not easy to use for a reason. You're protecting people's personal information. What this new database was all about was, well, no, no, you're going to be in it and we'll just allow people to buy yeah. data, not have to destroy it. They could do what they like with it. They could reuse it, sell it. You know, you, it, it's, the thinking behind that is just appalling. So by opting out what they call a type one form, if people are interested... Can you put links on your posts? Um, we can put links, yeah. yeah. Med Confidential, there are a small couple of doctors who run an organisation. They were the ones that really trumpeted this. Um, there's very simple instructions. It's a very easy form. You just tick a box to say, I don't want my records being used or trawled because what they'll do is press a button and algorithm will go through the NHS system pulling out
0: records. What it needs.
1: What it happens is, all it happens is you put a code on your records in theory to stop that process it doesn't affect your relationship with your gp or anything else it's just there to stop that automatic trawling
0: i mean it, what's you know i'm not not trying to scare well maybe i should be scaring people yeah. but basically right you've got in america you have Clearview system yeah, yeah. which is the, the new centralized image identification which has now been rolled out with most of the law enforcement's and agencies really? and people who have opted in, defence that. Mm-hmm. So basically, it's watching the CCTV. That's all part of the network. They can identify the people, and then that's then cross-related to the the criminal records, which are all part of that. So I guess you know medical records going to get put exactly. in there as well. But if you go over to China, then you've got um, Sesame Credit, which is like our national credit system right. where you get given a value um, but if you're bad then your credit goes down oh, yeah. but your right to travel and to shop and to move around Oof. is affected by your sesame credit level right. so if you've been bad then you're basically you're stuck in your own village because you can't you can't buy anything you can't you can't travel God. So you've got those elements there, plus the CCTV and identification as well. And all these things are coming to us from yeah. both sides and we're sort of stuck in the middle. Well, there's, and a, there's a
1: big, I mean, a, a friend up north who writes a lot about this, uh, and a woman called Margaret McCartney, actually, she's very good, talking about digital surveillance, in, you know, coming into healthcare. Mm. Um, and if you don't... Behave, it's behaviour it's behavior change techniques, really, isn't it? Yeah. Um and behaviour change can be a good thing, but it's, in, in this instance, I think uh, I really worry about the amount of digital surveillance that we're being put under. Yeah. Um, because then, as you said we said before, you start to develop. They start to develop algorithms that are a very tight pathway. Yeah. And if you don't fit on it, you don't fit.
0: Yeah. So it's it's not just your medical records; it's everything else that mm. goes with it, and yeah. that's pattern of life. And like you say, so it's it's. It's that digitalization of all the stuff that we have, mm. predominantly the, the medical records that we've got, and then that's being shifted over to the next database, or the, yeah. and then that's then being passed on to another database. So you could end up going to America and then not being allowed in because yeah, you... Yeah, absolutely. And I think very, and,
1: and it's not just how... You know, once your data... I mean, the thing is, I'm not a nationalistic type person, but the one thing we can be proud of is we are the only country in the world with 73 years' worth of patient-doctor data. Mm. No other country has had that kind of generational yeah, continuation. So that's why they want it. It's worth billions in yeah. designing new algorithms and AI. Because and,
0: you've know. got the models there to go back. Yeah,
1: yeah That's we're an island nation. Mm. You know, 73 years' worth of all those notes. My, no wonder they were pushing digitization about <laughs> 10, yeah. 15 years ago. Yeah.
0: Um, 70 million records, you know that's yeah. a lot that's a lot of that's money a too a lot of
1: money and they are they're salivating. they yeah. are wanting to get their hands on it. Um, but of course not just for health, you could hand it to lifestyle companies. Yeah. Who will then Marketing. target you with loads of adverts because
0: they yeah. know what you want. I know we go sort of, you know, we're, we're kind of going black Mirror sort of, yeah. day, <laughs> but to be honest, you know, if people have the ideas, they will do it. You it's, know, it's, it's, it is the whole point of the black Mirror is, is it's it's like 1984. It's, yeah. it's, this is, it's not a case of this is a, a horror story, this is mm. dystopian world. This is, this is a reflection of what will happen if you allow it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you allow it, that's a good thing. The one we were talking about campaign messaging the other night, we always do because you have to keep refreshing what we're saying. And the one thing I've learned you know, it is grim, it really is. However, it's very simple. If we as a society wanted something different, we can have it. Mm-hmm. We, just, we just need to stand up and shout for it. Yeah. So, if we wanted to renationalize it, return it to a properly people centered service that was there as a, a net fabric of support, I call it under all of us we could do that yeah. when it was a nationalized service before the 80s and you know it was constantly near the top of world's best yeah most efficient cost effective and i always joke you know okay we may not have had the rubber plant and the nice carpet and, but it was a good service it was there yeah. for everybody regardless of ability to pay for it age ethnicity it was there yeah you know and I think psychologically as a country, having something like that there must have had a huge positive effect.
0: Well, it, it brought us out of the war. Yeah. You know, it was, it was set up in the 50s? No, 1948. F- 48. So it was right after the Second World War where mm. we were absolutely d- destroyed. Yeah, absolutely. So something like that was a massive psychological boost mm. because they didn't have to worry then. Yeah. You know, we had healthcare. You could go and get... Seen, treated, yeah, and that changed. It would have been a massive confidence boost as well yeah. for for people. You know, they've come out of the war; they're broken. The family's mm-hmm. broken. PTSD. You yeah. know, stuff that they didn't know about. But at least there was a way of yeah. going somewhere and talking about yeah. it and and dealing with it in in the sort of the infancy of of what it was uh, in its early days. So to potentially lose that could absolutely destroy. People's livelihoods.
1: I I, more and more. I spent a lot of time back and forth in the states, and I I I, I reevaluate it every ten years. And Mm. now, I've now known what I know. I understand. You know, years ago when my friends were having a baby, they travelled seven hours to see a midwife, and I thought, why on earth are you choosing to go to Mm -hmm. Santa Rosa, which is seven there? And it's because they liked her, trusted when they lived there, they trusted her, and they didn't trust the local ones to them, which is really sad, yeah. you know, not to be able to trust the system but you have to find somebody that you can, you know, and you're, you're willing to drive seven hours to see them, that's crazy. You know, now I understand why they did, but I did, at the time I remember being very confused well, why don't you just go and see your local doctor because we used to have that you know, pretty much most doctors
0: were great I mean, that, is that going to have an impact we're um, talking about regional Mm. regional care you know up till now you've had the choice that if you didn't like your gp or a surgery you could opt out and go to another one you mm. could say right i want to transfer my to the next town or the next yeah. county surely that's going to have an impact
1: yeah i don't know how that all work. I, I would imagine you can because still- you're
0: cho- you're choosing to move out of your region so they could then say, "Well, if you're going out, you're choosing to go out. We'll, oh, yeah, we'll I, not I, fun-
1: if you knew if you knew one in Norfolk you wanted to go to, then that might not be. No, that might not, you don't, you'd have to pay. Yeah, um, because yeah, you would be outside there. I mean, it's really. I'm hearing myself talk. A lot of this is still unknown. Yeah, it's looking at the bill, looking at the paperwork from NHS England from the last three, four, five years. The five year forward view in the long term plan has been nothing but shrinking the menu." centralizing acute hospitals and pushing everything into the community yeah um and yeah that's so
0: but but we, so we're not actually talking about this is what's going to happen but it's a case of you know if things carry on these are, are likely to be scenarios and consequences yeah. that yeah. are going to happen and we, yeah. we need to be aware of
1: yeah absolutely and we should be asking questions now because mm. if, if i'm wrong great <laughs> I'm, I'm the first person to say Hooray! I'm wrong, but
0: yeah. I'm not. Uh, you'd, it's, a, it's a one case where you actually want to be wrong. Absolutely. I'd love
1: to be wrong. But we've been, myself, when I say we, I mean our organisation and other campaigners, we've been called scaremongers since 2000. Mm. When we first started raising the alarm bell about the sustainability and transformation plans, we could see, exa- oh, my God, this is the American system. It's not called. Cool. And then they made the mistake of calling it Accountable Care Organisations, Jeremy Hunt, as a video where Ben Bradshaw, MP, said, <coughs> oh, Jeremy, don't you think you should have called it something different? Because everyone will think it's the American system. Oh, 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 they all laughed. And then two days later, lo and behold, oh, it's not called Accountable Care Organisations now, it's called Integrated Care mm. Systems. So, yeah, but there's videos of Jeremy Hunt talking about how much he likes Kaiser Permanente and... ACOs in America. I mean, it's just been a sick process. It's awful.
0: It's all right if you're rich and you've got lots yeah. of money and you can I mean, afford it. And I think
1: this is my big problem. Well, not problem. I don't understand the poor, the very poor are going to be okay because that, if that's yeah. how Medicare, you haven't got any money that you'll get helped. Yeah. If you're very rich, yeah, you'll just go private. It's the middle class bracket yeah. who have got a little bit extra if they're lucky or they're just getting by. They're the ones who
0: are going to have to really suffer. Yeah, to make it work. So all your, your all your hard work into the houses and stuff. Absolutely. Well, you've already seen the the um, the care homes. Yeah, where your the they had a cap on eighty thousand mm-hmm. pounds was yeah. the value of going into care, but they said that's that's right. regionally discrimination because yeah. obviously eighty thousand is the whole house yeah. in. Up, up somewhere north but if you go into london that's only like 20 percent of the value of the house yeah. so you need to look at something that's prepared, you know so there's there's elements of you know you're going to lose your property again
1: the middle classes are the ones who are really going to buy, uh, suffer yeah you know and i i guess i'm always hoping come on middle class lot <laughs> you know those you've got young families and i mean I, I remember to a friend they're okay now but they went through a huge period where they were just really struggling you know, and I think that, and it, well, Theresa may called them the the just getting the JGMs just getting by, is what mm-hmm. they call. And I just think it's getting get worse. People really need to start standing up and saying enough's enough. Yeah. You know. Um, so yeah, writing to MPs seems futile. I know, but please do. It's it's the best thing you can do. And then ask questions of the local council, because I've been working with councillors locally as well, trying to get them to understand. Councils aren't going to have a, a big decision-making role in this, yeah. but they're going to be
0: expected to support it. To support mm-hmm.
1: it, yeah. And I don't understand why. There's been a few councils around the country who've, who've sort of half-heartedly. The other problem is not defending anybody, but NHS England are very good at not sending out the papers in time, or you know, they don't the information. And when you get them, there's 200 pages and huge documents. Uh, and I feel quite honoured and lucky to have. Campaigner friends who are retired lawyers—they're mm. <laughs> used to handling. Yeah, they've taught me a few tricks of like you know, ignore page one to thirty because half the time that's just just rubbish. Yeah. you know, <laughs> examine the the bullet points and then go oh, that page. Try that one. Yeah, um, but if you imagine, I remember I've I've kept one CCG meeting uh, agenda and papers purely as an example to people for one afternoon in a couple of years ago. Over three hundred pages mm. of just ridiculous reports, and you know who has read all those three hundred pages? I really don't think anybody has. And on the table, when you get there, there were at least forty copies. Yeah. And each CCG meeting I've been to, I'm one of about three people. So goodness knows what happens to all that. All the waste and the paper, you know, it's just crazy. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Not carbon
0: neutral then. <laughs> Definitely not carbon
1: neutral, no. (laughs) Although I think they are going more digital. Yeah, which is worrying. That sort of,
0: I think that that push to let's all go digital, let's get reduce our carbon footprint. But now we've got it all digital, we can then package it up and sell it. Yep. So it's and the servers
1: are producing, as we thought about earlier, the servers are producing huge amounts of CO two.
2: Yeah. It's the
0: data uh, no. farming and, and mining, information yeah. mining, it's Huge. it's enormous. It, it will save us but it will also destroy us at the same time.
1: Yeah. And the, and they want us to more and more to go digital because of that. Yeah, that's where the market is now, the money is.
0: Yeah. I think mean, yeah. yeah, there's there's without naming names, it's just the organizations that are packaging our information. Um there is a certain um social media app. Mm. Which basically creates has already, if you've never had an account on them, they've created the account for you. Really? Because what they do, do is they by, do by networking, because if you have all your friends yeah. and you cross reference oh, and you mention mm. other people within that, and some of their friends mention you, and then mm. their friends, so it then creates a web where your persona, your invisible persona, has an account. <laughs> oh my god and there are pictures of you because you have other people take pictures of yeah, you yeah. and they, they have those images and they're identif- they, they can identify who those people are but oh. so it'll be an unknown and if it's made a link to your non-existent persona it can then be tied to it so you're not going to tell me what platform this is are you? i'll tell you I'll tell it afterwards <laughs> You'll know it. It's uh, yes, it's, I'm sure. Yes, yeah. sure. <laughs> we, we all have it. Well, we all have it. But yeah. the fact is that it's already creating stuff before you've even got an account, and then it can then they're... market, it can then attribute marketing details yeah, to yeah. it, and then sell that information as well.
1: That's almost a parallel to the NHS. They've Ooh. already broken it up. Yeah. But, um, but pretending they haven't, and the bill is going to introduce it. It's not at all. It's just to legalise it.
0: Yeah. Oh. That's scary. That oh, there's it's a lot of scary stuff. I mean, I, I only know a fraction of the stuff, yeah. and what I hear is scary enough. Yeah. Absolutely. Sometimes you just don't want to go. Yeah. Digging.
1: So, well, before I finish, write to MP. Write to a lord if you know one. Mm. You know, if you, if you happen to know one down the road, go and bang on their door and
0: tell them <laughs> to vote against the bill. Yeah. What about if you want to set up an, a medical company or a GP surgery?
1: Oh <laughs> well, you better get in quick because there's plenty of all fighting for the front door. Uh, yeah no t- talk to the ccg yeah. who are soon to disappear
0: so anything last before we, we wrap up i think we've got to a point where, where it's time to to bring this no, to an end
1: um i think that's been good i mean sorry for rambling around the trouble is it's a very difficult subject
0: no there's a there's an awful lot and i don't know everything mm. and i've only kind of just got a taste of there is definitely something in the wind and yeah. we need to sort it out no, that's
1: good because that's where i started but that was seven years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got a lot of catching up. Um, and I've met some amazing people. I uh, really, genuinely, I've been honored to meet some fantastic people who've put themselves in it. You know, we're all volunteers, none of us get paid to do anything. And it's a mixture of GPs, academics, and lovely, stop using the word ordinary people, but you know, just people who are doing a day job mm. and then at night. I mean, when we were first, it's always meet. It's always interesting meeting new campaigners because you recognise yourself five years ago. Yep. <laughs> you, you can't do the three in the morning job anymore. Yeah, we used to go to you know because people with kids, they couldn't start doing research and stuff until yeah. kids were in bed. Yeah, so often we'd meet at ten o'clock and say goodnight around about two, three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, um, and it's been a tough old game, but it's been a brilliant game and well, not a game. Uh, an activity and I've learnt a lot about not just the healthcare service but this country and and I didn't know much about the democratic processes that we (laughs) supposedly have. You know in theory we're a democratic country but that's also being a really oh,
0: it's, always, it's always been an illusion yeah. the illusion of choice is always yeah. is is an illusion that's but
1: learning how local council works how Parliament works has been an interesting process and I don't regret that at all and I'm, I would never have gone to court normally mm-hmm. so legal JR, judicial reviews has been a really interesting journey as well so yeah it's been a good I just hope that we can encourage people to come on board now more and more what i'm finding recently this year especially coming out of covid is that i'm not getting as many glazed looks as i used to when i talk to people Mm. people are beginning to add their own jigsaw pieces together because what i'm saying isn't quite as rabid and you know conspiracy theory as it used to sound five years ago i think people are seeing it and feeling it because they can't get a gp appointment yeah. they can't get seen to the it's understanding why these it's understanding why you yeah. can't do it it isn't the, and the trouble is they always say that it's winter crisis and we, we can't cope we can't cope you can't cope because you've had over thirty thousand beds cut staff are leaving in droves because they can't stand the, the bullying and, and the, the pressure you haven't you haven't given the funding every year that it needs they're exhausted exhausted it. it just goes on and on yeah and it's the why that's always missing when i get when i watch the news or instead it's just much better to have a sexy tale about oh someone died outside addenbrooks you know and it's like yeah the poor chap died because the whole ambulance system is also affected yeah you know they can they're not supposed to leave a patient until someone has taken it so there's an ambulance sat there for X amount of hours, when eight be. hours. I saw there was something oh, just it's recently. Just, it's, yeah, and it's not the ambulance driver's fault. No, it isn't. You know,
0: um, you know, they're, they're the ones who are keeping them alive. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well. Well, thanks for having me on. <laughs> that's all right, Stephen. It's it's been, it's been an interesting and very much an education listening to. Uh, certainly, learned a lot more. Oh, good. Um, this is mainly just to make you just to question. Mm. Question: What's what's been going on? You know, you you can you can believe what you want, but basically, you know, if you want to learn more, go and go and find out, yeah. and then go and speak to your mm. uh, MP or Lord or someone.
1: Yeah, and also cl- look at you know you can ask questions of the Cambridgeshire Peterborough Clinical Commissioning Group. If you can find the integrated care system, let me know or let you know. <laughs> Because they're very good at hiding. Yeah. I have found out where the CCG now has an office in Ely, so I'm going to go and knock it on the door at some point.
0: Sounds like a plan. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Thank, thank, you. thank you. for joining me. Um, it's been wonderful. This is Stephen Kahn, and you've done an amazing job so far. And mm. I hope maybe talk to you again in a yeah, few I'll months' time back. when we get sort of the next phase or well, if we is, get... Yeah, after, after Christmas, maybe. After Christmas. because
1: there'll, there'll be updates on the bill.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, listeners, for, for listening. And uh, that's it for today. Until next time, goodbye.